This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to get to today on this fine show. Phil Miller, Twins beat writer, will join me here in just a minute to talk Twins um, coming off a big walk-off win over the Brewers on Wednesday and getting ready for a big series against the White Sox starting Thursday and heading into the All-Star break. Also check in with Ryan Dungey, motocross legend. I don't think it's overstating it to call him a motocross legend. And he has unretired. He's back competing for the first time in five years and will compete at his home track, Spring Creek, this weekend. So I caught up with him, chatted with him the other day, and I will play that recording for you as well in advance of that big race this weekend. A fact about the Kansas City Royals that I find startling and, you know, un, you know, I just, it jumped out at me and I will share that with you and got to talk a little soccer because both Minnesota United and the Minnesota Aurora had important games on Wednesday. We'll get to that in a little bit as well. But first, what did I miss? Like I said, I'm going to start with the Twins and my interview with Phil Miller today just because that's so topical right now. I don't usually start with the guest for anybody who listens to this show fairly often, but I did talk to Phil after yesterday's Brewers game, the walk-off nature of it, the big series coming up this weekend. That feels like the biggest thing happening in Minnesota sports right now, so let's start there. I am happy to welcome back Phil Miller onto Daily Delivery, covers the Twins, of course, for the Star Tribune. Um, Phil, pretty exciting game Wednesday. Twins beat the Brewers on a walk-off. Jose Miranda, three-run home run. He's actually he's been he's been quite good for them since the slow start he had um, when he first came up, kind of showing that he can hit here and that of course came off of Josh Hader the very good closer for the Brewers felt like an important game I want to get into <clears throat> the game a little bit spin it forward obviously to this big series against the White Sox going into the all-star break then maybe talk a little bit of draft um, but, but kind of starting with the game itself you were there we are talking from you are there I'm I'm at home right now you are still at Target Field as we are speaking on Wednesday evening um, <clears throat> impressions of this, of this win. I mean, it's one of 162, but you know, when you've kind of, you know, had some losses here and there, you don't want to let things slip going into the break. So that, that's why it felt important to me. It did. Um, it's their sixth walk-off of the year. So it's easy to lump them all together and saying, uh, uh, well, that the glass half empty, uh, is, uh, why don't they score a few more runs earlier in the game? So they don't have such a Close games all the time, but uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, today's was pretty impressive because of who the pitcher was. Uh, Josh Hader, who just made his fourth All-Star team, who leads the major leagues in saves, who has one blown save opportunity all year. This was not a save opportunity today. It was a uh, one-one tie in the ninth inning. But uh, it's the first time in Hader's career that he has ever faced three or more batters and not recorded it out. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's quite an amazing accomplishment for uh, Jorge Polanco, who drew a uh, controversial walk, and uh, Max Kepler, who lined a soft single 
that must have been so frustrating for Hayter. You could have easily had retired the first two guys. And then uh, after missing with the slider, he just left one front and center for uh, for Jose Miranda, who hit it off the face of the upper deck. This one felt a little different than some of the other ones. It's different than coming back against the Orioles or the White Sox or the Tigers. Uh, this is a this is a really good uh, team, and uh, Hater is as good as they come. And, uh, and for a rookie to do it, a rookie who who was terrible those first three weeks uh, after being called up, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it felt like a step forward for him. Based on how bad Miranda was in those first few weeks, I was surprised he stayed up. But they must have either needed him to stay up or saw something in him that that uh, that they thought he's he's going to hit. Well, he didn't really stay up. They decided to send him back down. They uh, they optioned him to St. Paul. Um, and about six hours later, maybe not even that long, called and said, no, 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 no. Uh, um, I wish I uh, remembered who uh, got hurt, but they, uh, they maybe it was, was it Miguel? No, this was after Miguel, but uh, uh, they had an injury and called him right back. And uh, with without that, it's, it's entirely possible that he might still be uh, at AAA. And instead, he returned, and I don't know if that flipped a switch or something. You know, maybe you feel like you got nothing to lose and uh, just kind of let it go. But, uh, you know, he has been a different hitter. He's a confident hitter. He's, he, he is no longer overwhelmed by this level. And that is, uh, I mean, that's pretty encouraging to see. Joe Ryan hasn't been overwhelmed by this level from basically from the moment he took the mound last September, I believe it was when, when the call-ups came, maybe it was August. I can't remember when he came up exactly last year, but he's been quite good was again, good. I'm sure they'd like to see some of these guys work a little deeper into games sometimes, although he still had some pitches to throw. It looked like they just, they took him out of this one. Don't. Yeah. uh, Not only, does he, he had more pitches? I mean, he was, he only threw 44 pitches in the first three innings. He was in, uh, he was in pretty good shape. He only threw uh, 78 for the game, I think, the third fewest of the season. Um, I was a little surprised. He, you know, they have the All Star break coming up. He will not pitch again for 10 days. I would assume he'll, have, he'll get the first game back on. Uh, July 23rd, I think, in, uh, in Detroit. That's a long way off. Um, I, I, I guess they were protecting him, but it was a 1-1 game. It was a surprising uh, move on Rocco's part. He said they really wanted to get Caleb Fieldbar, and they were convinced he matched up well against the uh, Brewers lineup. Um, so they gave uh, Joe Ryan, you know, I think they are really intent on giving some of their starters uh, a break in, uh, in this month, you know. Chris Archer went on the injured list, even though he was only kind of sort of injured. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Mundy and uh, and Sonny Gray might get uh, might skip a start or something like that going forward. I think, um, which is probably not going to be popular with fans. You watch these guys. Uh, you're right. Pitch four or five innings to start. Let's move forward a little bit here to the White Sox series. And, you know, we've been kind of waiting for Chicago to make a move, any kind of move all year. And, you know, they're 
they're still in a you know semi threatening position nobody's nobody's nipping at the twins heels really but nobody's running away with this thing either and you know they really only like one nine and two stretch away from being you know right in the race and probably seem like they are more of a threat still than cleveland even though cleveland's been ahead of them in the standings here for a while i mean as we think about importance the the win wednesday felt important this series feels particularly important just as a tone setter going into the break it's it's the white Sox. you're, you're going to see them again some more it's at home and you know you, you gotta you, you don't want to give away games i know they've played a ton of games they're probably tired they're probably like ready most of these guys who are not playing in the all-star game are ready for a break but uh, this this feels like a pretty impactful series that we could either way we might look back on at some point and say ah you know that was kind of a that kind of told the story of the season well to put it bluntly i think they have to approach it as this is the week we uh put the white Sox away uh you know they took two out of three and let uh, let one game slip away in chicago last week um that could have easily been a uh, slip a uh, excuse me a slip uh, sweep <coughs> Uh, the White Sox are still three games below 500, two games below 500. Um, with the same lineup that won the division last year, uh, with a uh, pitching staff that uh, was supposed to be really good, but uh, Lucas Giolito has not come back uh, strong. It's a, this is a pitching staff that's relying on Johnny Cueto, of all people. Uh, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to explain what has happened to the White Sox. I do think that they are a bigger threat to pull it together. In uh, than Cleveland, but four games at home. Um, the crowds are starting to get bigger here. Um, this uh, this is a real chance for uh, the Twins. If if, if they had uh, taken care of that last game in uh, Chicago last week, they'd have a half a dozen game lead now and, and could really be looking to put it away. I would guess that is the um, philosophy in the in the clubhouse this week. This is. This is a chance to, uh, to uh, you know, end the race, uh, make the second half a lot easier. It would. It would indeed. Um, still feels like it's going to be plenty of baseball after the break. And, you know, as, as good as they have to feel about the way the first half has gone, especially, you know, relative to external expectations, but they're probably on pace for 90 wins or close to 90 wins at, the, at, at this point. Um, and I don't think people – had that penciled in after last year's 73 and 89 season. Um, but this is still a team with some, some holes, even though I think they've been, you know, relatively consistent in terms of there's, there's not a glaring weakness, maybe outside of some ill-timed bullpen meltdowns, but the bullpen ERA overall is okay. Um, but as they kind of approach the second half and even think about, you know, Hey, how do we position ourselves not just to get to the playoffs, but win? You got to feel like the the bullpen is something that still needs to be addressed, um, perhaps before the trade deadline. Yeah, and they're going to have to decide if they're going to tinker or if they are going to make a real move, and whether or not which is necessary. I think the fans would agree after watching uh, five blown leads uh, to the to the Guardians that uh, was it four or five that. Uh, that something needs to be done drastic. Uh, I will say, um, just between us, uh, Mike, it occurred to me today that uh, 
uh, with Spencer Steer uh, tearing it up at uh, AAA with Miguel Sano coming back uh, in some form or another at the end of the month. Uh, I wonder what you could get for uh, Jose Miranda. And uh, would the Twins ever uh, ever consider uh, doing something like that? Um, Interesting. You know, yeah, uh, it, it, it's a position of, or it, it's not a position of strength yet, but it projects to be a position of strength. I don't know that uh, that they would do it, but, uh, you know, Miranda is the kind of guy that uh, that could uh, really interest some teams that are that are rebuilding. So, um, but that's um, just total speculation on my part. And uh, let's just keep it between us. But, uh, I think, <laughs> you mean uh, the thousands of podcast listeners? Well, ask them not to say anything. Right? Okay. Um, uh, I do think that they are planning to. You, you keep hearing about all their options at AAA and all the all the free agents they're bringing in. Uh, I do think they are planning to make a move uh, at the end of the month, either for a, another starter, in which case uh, Josh Winder becomes uh, another bullpen piece, or um, more likely uh, a, a closer from another uh, team. Um, Rocco also said today that uh, Kenta Maeda, if he comes back in September, 50-50, I guess, right now, he would be a bullpen guy, um, and Kenta agrees with that. So I think, uh, they, you know, I don't know what you can expect from that, but they are thinking a lot about the bullpen. Final thought for you, before any of these guys were bona fide prospects, they were draft picks. Um, Twins have the number eight pick in the draft on Sunday. Highest pick they've had, I believe, since Royce Lewis in mm -hmm. 2017, um, owing to their poor season a year ago. Um, as you think about, I'm not going to ask you for like who they're going to pick, hot takes there, because that, you know, the baseball draft is probably the biggest crapshoot of them all. But is there an organizational philosophy need that we should kind of watch as they kind of approach this number eight pick? Well, there's not going to be much top end pitching. There's not, there's not any uh, uh, standouts. There's not uh, any Steven Strasburg's uh, at the top of the draft. I don't think there'll be any pitching uh, going. I don't think there'll be any pitching going before the twins pick. So in one sense, uh, they may have the pick of the, uh, of all pitches available. Um, we'll see uh, if that's the way they go. Having, Having really gone outside their comfort zone last year to take a high school pitcher Chase Petty and then trading him uh, this year um, to some scouts, uh, um, I think it upset a few scouts. I've heard uh, that you uh, you work and watch a kid uh, all spring and they draft him and then uh, they trade him. Um, anyway, I, I do think that they are likely to uh, uh, draft a pitcher. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, we'll see, uh, as I say this, I'm watching well, four to six prospects working out here in target field after, uh, today's game. There's a couple of dozen scouts around watching the kid on the mound pitch right now. Uh, you should go find out who that is and uh, see if they're going to take them. <laughs> well, we'll let you do some sleuthing. You can, uh, you can update me later if you uh, come up with a name, um, Good stuff, Phil. I'm sure you're covering some of 
the games um, in the next four days. And after that, please uh, enjoy the all-star game. I believe you're, you're going. Yes. Yes. Uh, Byron Buxton, Louis arise and me. Um, what a, what a big a three, the yeah. big three, baby. <laughs> That's right. All right, Phil. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. Okay, Mike. Good talking. Now, Phil and I obviously got into a little bit of what the Twins could be looking for at the trade deadline. It's got to, I would, I would think, you know, if you look at the the makeup of this year's Twins team, I don't think, you know, Thad Levine and Derek Falvey were all in on the season. You know, certainly the Carlos Correa signing gave this season an air of. Legitimacy is the wrong word, but it, it gave the it gave the season an air of hey, we're not just kind of punting on 2022. You know, signing him indicated they're trying to win to a certain degree. But I never got the feeling from this season that they were, you know, all in on trying to win a World Series. I don't think you trade Taylor Rogers, um, you know, your your best relief pitcher, right before the season starts, you know, even if you get back what you think is value. In Chris Paddock, who almost immediately got injured, and Emilio Pagan, who has been you know, better lately, but has been a part of a lot of bullpen meltdowns. Even if you think you got reasonable value in that deal, Taylor Rogers is the kind of guy who can be a difference maker in a postseason or in a pen, in a in a pennant push. So I don't think you make that trade if you are all in on the season. That said, the Twins are in first place. Figure to be in first place going into the All-Star break. Figure to, you know, be buyers at the deadline based on what their season looks like right now. And there could be some available relievers that look kind of intriguing to them. Saw a list the other day. Um, A couple names jumped out at me. The biggest one that I think has been, you know, linked to them or thought to be maybe a good fit for them is David Robertson from the Cubs, you know, 37 years old. So kind of a, a rental, but having a very good season with the Cubs. Um, he was good with the Rays last season. Kind of seems like he has returned from all of his elbow problems that kept him out of almost the entirety of his contract with the Phillies in 2019, 2020. So that's Maybe one of the biggest names to watch on my list for what the Twins could be looking for. Now, other interesting names, you know, guys like Gregory Soto from the Tigers. Interesting thing about him is he is um, under team control until after the 2025 season. Um, So lots of years of team control with Soto, and he is a left-handed pitcher, which they they could really use. Now, that would be an interdivision trade. Not sure what the Tigers would be up to there, and that would take a lot to get him because of all of that team control. But that would be an interesting name to go after as well. So, a couple couple names to think about. A couple guys to to wonder. You know, I'm sure the 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 lists will grow as the you know the trade deadline gets a little bit closer as we kind of sort out. What teams are where? Who's you know who is truly falling out of contention? And you got to remember, there are like seven teams from each league, or I'm sorry, six teams from each league. Three wild cards make the playoffs now, so a little bit trickier in terms of trying to you know trying to see you know who might be out of it and who isn't. But you know, I, I would be stunned if the Twins don't add something at the deadline, even if they feel like you know, like Phil said, that they might get. Kenta Maeda to, to help out in the bullpen, even if they get some, 
you know, get some guys coming up from the minors that they think could help. You know, at least one more veteran experienced arm could really give them something more that they need and that's something more that they have been lacking. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I want to bring in Ryan Dungy now. Um Minnesota native, um, back racing at his as his home track, Spring Creek Park in Millville, Minnesota, this weekend for the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championships. Um, the big events coming Saturday in those races, and just a, I, I've t- I've talked to Ryan several times over the years for various stories, but you know haven't talked to him for a while because he hasn't been racing for five years but now at age 32 getting back into the mix so i caught up with him the other day in advance of those races and here we are now all right i'm happy to be joined today by motocross legend is that all right to call you that um ryan (laughs) dungy um out of retirement ryan and back into racing congrats on that um how you doing I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Like you said, I uh, retired there for about five years, but, you know, got the opportunity to go back and uh, it's been fun and just been a good balance in life and enjoying the heck out of it. So catch catch folks up, Ryan. What have you been up to for, you retired essentially in 2015, or sorry, 2017 from the world of motocross, which is five years ago. What have you been up to since then? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been good. You know, we, um, you know, shortly after retiring, uh, me and my wife came back here to Minnesota. Uh, we were in Florida there for a while. And, um, since then we've had two kids, we got a little girl and a boy and, you know, so we're raising them. And so life's a little bit more busy, which is awesome. And, you know, got a couple other things in the works and just you know, started a company and started a foundation and yeah, just keeping busy, man. So, you know, after five years, why, why the why why come back why why get back into this racing business i you know you know for a couple couple years there once i retired and we had kids and i kind of settled down a little bit like things kind of slowed down a little bit and i was kind of energized to to do it again um i kind of seeked out opportunities none really came about and um you know this year i happened to be doing some testing with with the team ktm who i raced for um all those years i uh, and some you know, opportunity opened up and uh, a couple of guys were going to be sitting out for the motocross series. And so there was a, a few spots and I was like, well, so we chat about it and, you know, talked about going back racing. And, you know, for me, I, um, you know, I just, I still had the excitement to do it. I, you know, it had been a while. I, I was looking forward to get back to it and, you know, having a challenge, having another challenge, uh, you know, something I wanted to pursue. So um, it just kind of all came together and, happened to be going good on the dirt bike and the, the body was good. Fitness was good. And, um, and, and just being able to do it from Minnesota, I think that was another thing that was really helped out the situation is, um, it's not like I had to uproot my family, move back to Florida. I can yeah. still do it out of Minnesota here. So it was, it was a good balance. And, and, and that was important because shoot with the two kids they're you know, they're I think five months and three years old. So they're very young. And so not uprooting that system. And, um, yeah, it's so it's, it's been good. Now you're the third winningest rider in the history of pro motocross, 46 wins, second most podiums with 91 for pro motocross championships. That said, when you take a long break, I got to imagine it's uh, how much, I mean, did you, did you ride much during that layoff and what are the biggest challenges of getting back into competitive racing? Yeah, I, I did ride and, but not very much, honestly. It, uh, uh you know, uh, 
the wintertime here, gosh, slows things down and you don't get to ride at all during those months. And so very slim on the riding. But the biggest challenge for me in getting back is just getting back up to, I think the speed is there. It's just more the, um, the, uh, the endurance part, you know, like I, I feel like I can go the distance pretty well, but being able to get to that next level and, you know, over five years, it's not like I was, I was training, I was working out and doing stuff outside of riding dirt bikes, but it was like that, that high end intensity, you know, when you're in the last, you know, five to 10 minutes of the moto, I think I just, just, especially the second moto, it's a, uh, you know, motocross is just physically um, demanding and, and, you know, so I can do everything I can and, you know, I'm doing everything I can, but I got to also be patient with myself and like, yeah, Hey, it's been five, six years. So just, just let, let it come. But the good thing is every single weekend it's getting better and we're getting closer and um, the body's adapting more and more. So it's just, just going to take time. And uh, so I'd say that's probably the biggest, the toughest point is just the, the body getting back to that high level where, where all those other guys are at. Couple final things for you, Ryan. Obviously, the big reason we're talking right now is you will be competing um, this weekend at a very familiar track, Spring Creek. That's your kind of your home race, right? And you won there your most recent time in 2015. How much are you looking forward to being back there? Yeah, I'm excited. I think every year we get to come back here. It's uh, it's special because, like you said, it is hometown, but also it honestly is one of the best tracks on the circuit. Um, it's ranked there at the very top, and so you know the dirt's good. It's rough. Uh, it's got elevation. It's usually pretty warm. Uh, just a good facility, good people, a good group of people. And then uh, just, yeah, the fans and just the, the friends and family and everybody going to come out and just super supportive. Everybody's been awesome. So just good to also see all that as well. And yeah, try to we'll try to put in a good performance and have some fun and see what we can do. Last thing for you. How, I mean, now that you're back, how long do you want to stay? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the question. You know, we started outdoors and, um, you know, now, now quickly talks have developed for racing supercross next year. And so definitely got some figuring out some stuff to do, but, uh, it's cool to, you know, I gotta say, it's nice to see the doors opening up and, um, you got to, got some stuff to figure out though, for sure. Awesome. Ryan. Well, Hey, best of luck this weekend. Great catching up with you. And I'm sure we'll talk again down the road. Awesome. Thank you. Looking forward to it. You bet. Take care. Always fun to catch up with people after you haven't talked to them for a while. Cool to hear he's got couple of kids now. I have at least one more, maybe two more than the last time I talked to him. I have a grand total of three. Uh, I believe I've shared that before. So, you know, that just, just a cool, cool guy. I hope he does well. I hope he, you know, hope he finds some success coming out of retirement and gets to do what he loves even more. Let's transition to soccer at the end of the show here. Um, Minnesota United 1-1 draw with Sporting KC, but they're, ex- they're unbeaten streak four now. Maybe a disappointment because Kansas City not having the greatest season, not great on the road, and equalized in the second half. The Loons had been you know, going pretty well lately on offense. They'd scored three goals in each of their last three matches and winning all three. This one a 1-1 draw, and the only goal for them coming on an own goal by, the, by Sporting KC in the first half, but you know what? Hey, sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes you just have to accept an outcome. And in this case, you know, I, I guess they will. They, I guess they will take it. I guess they will. Uh, you know, they they will. You know, maybe lament a little bit of missed opportunities, but still, a four-game unbeaten streak is a decent place for them to be. It's gotten them into a better spot in the standings, where they're now you know tied for fifth and within you know within two points of third um and you know making you know 
making a push to to be in the conversation for a home playoff match to to start the playoffs. Seven teams make it, so you got to be in the top four to get that uh, that home playoff match to start things. So things looking much better for the Loons, and you know, good stuff coming up. Of course, they play Everton in a friendly next week. Hoping to have manager Adrian Heath on sometime this week to talk about that. No, actually, that would be on Friday's show, tomorrow's show, if it's going to happen, um, and uh, and go from there. So. Should be a, should be a fun stretch for the Loons, including that and the All Star Game coming up a few weeks later. Minnesota Aurora, a huge win in the playoffs. They advance by rallying past the Indy Eleven. They win that game two to one uh, in the USLW League playoffs. They go to the semifinals now. Um, you know, they are unbeaten this year, 12-0-1. Indy 11 was 10-1-2, so obviously two very good teams in this game. 6,200 fans announced for that game. Just a, a huge success story any way you look at it in, in, in this sport right now. So good work by Aurora. Good, um, just a great season they're having, and it continues now into the league semifinals. They play Sunday at 5 p.m. against McLean Soccer. Let's finish with the cooler. This caught my eye. ESPN story about the Kansas City Royals who are traveling to play the Blue Jays in a series before the All-Star break. Ten Royals players will miss that series because they are not vaccinated for COVID-19. Again, that's the rules for entering, you know, entering Canada and being able to play in that series is that you must be vaccinated. Now the story says the previous most players a team had missed in a Toronto series was four. And then the twi- and that was the Twins. Um might might have been another team, but the Twins had four players missing when they went to Toronto. Max Kepler Emilio Pagan, Caleb Thielbar, and Trevor McGill were all on the restricted list when the Twins played in Toronto. Um, that was back in early June, and you know, the Twins managed to win two out of three in that series still. Um, Royals have 10 players missing. That's like almost, you know, not quite half of your active regular roster. Um, that's just, I mean, I, it, it's for one team to have that many unvaccinated players just kind of blew my mind. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's probably more of a fluke than anything. I don't know if it was like one, you know, it's like some grand team decision or anything like that, but it just caught my attention that they have 10 unvaccinated players and will be without so many of them heading into that series. That'll do it for me today. Good stuff coming up the rest of the week. Next week will be a little bit of a kind of a mix and match. I'm taking a couple days off trying to burn off some vacation time in the next few weeks before things really, really ramp up again. So there'll be shows next week, I believe, on Monday, Thursday, and Friday. going to try to take Tuesday and Wednesday off next week. So adjust your listening habits accordingly. Thanks for listening today. Back at it again tomorrow.